Jewish assignment in the world. This is in Exodus 19, verses 3 through 6. Shmos Yudtes, Gimel through Vav. So there the verse says like this. Umosha ala el Elohim. Moshe went up to God. The cry lav Hashem minahar. And God called to him from the mountain. Lay more. And he said to him, Ko tomar lebeis Yaakov. This is what you should tell the ladies. V'tagid lebnei Yisrael. And this is what you should explain to the men. V'atem tiyuli mamleches kohanim. You should be for me a nation of priests. The goy kadosh. And a holy nation. This is what you should tell the Jews. So, Rashi is bothered here because there's a strange repetition. God says, this is what you should tell the Jews. Tell them they should be Goy Kadosh. This is what you should tell the Jews. So what's that strange repetition? Why does God say again, this is what you should tell them? Sirach explains that God said, this is what you should tell the Jews. They should be a holy nation. Tell them that and nothing else. That's all they have to know. The bottom line of being a Jew is to be a Kaddosh. Someone who's, who's, who's been around a little in, 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 in terms of the Jewish world, we understand that being a Kaddosh, being a holy one, is really the whole bottom line. But here you have an explicit verse. So this is very exciting because now we understand standing on one foot what it means to be a Jew. The only problem is we don't really know what Kedusha is. So it would be nice if we could somehow define Kedusha. A superficial run through the Shas, through the Talmud, leads one to have the impression that Kedusha is the opposite of Tumah which would be very helpful if we knew what Tuma was. But we don't really know what Tuma is either, so that's not very helpful. But at least we're narrowing it down. At least we know what Kedusha, that's the opposite of Tuma. Now, there's a Rashi in the beginning of Vayikra, in the beginning of Leviticus, that sheds a little bit of light on both. The very, very first verse in Leviticus, in Vayikra, reads as follows, Vikra el Moshe, God called to Moshe, V'yadabar Shamilav, and God spoke to him, from the Oel Moed, and he spoke to him saying the following, dot, dot, dot. Rashi, on the spot, on this word Vayikra, God called to Moshe, Rashi says, Vayikra, he called to him? That's Lashon Chibo. That's the language of Chibo. How would you translate Chibo? Affection, something like that. Affection, love, closeness, something like that. Vayikra is the language of chibo, of affection. Aval, however, to the Gentile prophets, to them God appeared with the language of tuma. So, this is very interesting. Rashi here says, that to Moshe he appeared in the language of Chiba, of affection. To the Gentile prophets he appeared in the language of Tuma. It sounds like affection is the opposite of Tuma. That's, it sounds like the, that these two things are opposed. You could either appear to someone in the language of affection or the language of Tuma. So now this is extremely helpful because of something I learned in 
think it was sixth grade when they taught us the associative property. Yeah? Right? If A is the opposite of B and A is the opposite of C, then you know that B equals C. So what do you have here? You know that Kedusha is the opposite of Tuma. And you know that affection is the opposite of Tuma. So if affection is the opposite of Tuma and Kedusha is the opposite of Tuma, that is a hint that affection is Kedusha. Right? Okay, now, we don't have proof. But this is not tight yet. But we have a direction to start to move and to investigate. So let's continue down this path and see if we can somehow confirm this idea that affection and Kedusha are related. Probably the greatest Kabbalist of the 18th century, Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzato, in his book, The Mesilla Shisharim, The Path of the Just, he has a few chapters on Kedusha. So if you're going to look for some definition of Kedusha someplace, you'd probably look there. That's like the dictionary for, for these sorts of terms. So there he, he defines Kedusha, and he uses very interesting language. And you'll see it, it sounds very familiar. He says, what's Kedusha? He says, Kedusha is that afilu b'shas hitasko b'masi magashmim. Even at the time, the one is in the midst of performing physical acts, hamuchrachim lo mipeat gufo, that are necessary to sustain his body. Hine lo tazuz nafsho midveikuso ha'elyon. He never strays from the highest intimacy, dveikus, intimacy, connection. Shinemar, like the verse says in Tehillim in Psalms 63.9, Davkenaf shiacharecha. My soul clings to you. So this sounds like some sort of a love affair taking place. In the midst of taking care of his own needs, he never strays from the highest intimacy. As the verse says, my soul clings to you. He says, that's Kedusha. So this sounds a lot like affection. A lot like some sort of a, uh, a relationship, a warmth, uh, uh, a oneness that's being created between two beings. According to the Ramchal, it turns out, Kedusha is a state in which there are no distractions. Because I'm so connected to the other. I'm sitting across my wife at the table. And I'm just staring into her eyes. There's nothing in the whole world but my wife. And she's making me some chocolate chip cookies as I'm talking to her. And I just, I'm like, talk to me, anything. Yeah. In the middle of this, she takes the chocolate chip cookies, fresh, hot out of the oven. She puts them on the table. Yeah. Right. And she puts them down. And I'm just staring at her. And I talk to me, talk to me. And she says, have some chocolate chip cookies. And I say, what? <laughs> chocolate chip what? Yeah, I don't see anything. All I see is her. According to Ramchal, that's Kedusha, is that in the midst, right, of this intimacy, right, I don't notice anything else in the world. Even my physical needs don't get in the way. By the way, it's interesting. According to Ramchal, there in the Masilah Shisharim, so there's a level below Kedusha an intermediate level called Tahara. And the way that he describes Tahara, it's like this. I'm not yet on the level where I don't notice the chocolate chip cookies. That's Kedusha. 
I'm so involved in my beloved that I, I, I don't see cookies at all. That's Kedusha. Tara, that's a state where I'm staring at my wife. She takes the chocolate chip cookies out of, uh, out of the oven. She puts them on the table. And the, you know that when you first take them out, the chocolate chips are still popping, bubbling. You know, you know, the, the smell is wafting towards your nose. Eat me. You know? Yeah, right? So I want to concentrate on her and the cookies are distracting me. So Tara is, I take the cookies and I move them off the table so I can keep my eyes on her. That's Tara, is that you remove the distractions. When you reach the level of Kedusha, of holiness at that point, you don't even notice the cookies anymore. Yeah? In Tara, there are distractions, so you remove them, you get them out of the way. So, again, we haven't proven anything yet, but it looks like we have a direction. If it turns out that Kedusha is connection, and the opposite of Kedusha is Tuma, is some sort of spiritual impurity, then Tuma should be disconnection. If Kedusha is connection, Tuma, the opposite, should be disconnection. Do we have any hint of this whatsoever? So, I found a few interesting hints. One is this. There's a type of speech which separates people. And this speech is so tame that it necessitates that a person separate from the entire Jewish nation and leave the camp. This thing called Lashon Hara. Yeah, a person who speaks this during biblical times, they would get these lesions on their body, they'd have to leave the whole camp. Yeah, the speech itself breaks up relationships. Right? Gossiping, it breaks up relationships. And the person who speaks that, they're separated out from everybody else. They have to leave also. And we know that that's called Tuma. There's a Tuma involved in Lashon Hara. So that would be a hint. I'll give you another hint. Whenever a human ovum and human seed are discharged and they fail to come together to create a new unity when they remain separate, invariably it causes a tumor in the person. By the way, this solves a, a side problem, which is people understand that when a man discharges seed, he becomes tame, he goes into the state of impurity. When a woman discharges an egg, she goes into the state of impurity. People ask the kasha though, why is it then that when the seed and the ovum come together, the woman is not tame, but the man is? It's a strange thing. Yeah? What's the difference between the man and the woman? That the woman comes out okay and the man doesn't come out okay. And the answer is, of course, that what the woman discharged united and became one with something else. Some of what the man discharged united and became one, but some of what the man discharged did not unite and remained separate, and that's why there's still a tumor in him. Whenever there's this lack of coming together, there's a tumor. What's the most extreme example of this? The most extreme example is when the body and the soul separate. That separation of body and soul, that causes the most extreme form of tumor in the world, the most extreme form of of spiritual impurity, right? Tumas mace, the, the tumor of a, of, of a dead body. So these are not proofs again, but these are hints that in fact 
the definition of Kedusha is going to be connection and the definition of Tumah, the opposite, will be disconnection. It's interesting. You know, the way the Jews speak is so significant. When the Jews want to speak about the being who is the source of all connection in this world, Hashem Echad. The name that they use for him is, they call him HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He is the Kadosh, the source of unity in the world. Now, it would be interesting, what would be the name if there's some source for disconnection in the world? What would that source be called? So it's interesting, there's a Gemara that says, Ezehu el Zar shubagufu shel Adam. Who is the God of Zar who dwells in the body of a person? So we understand the word Zar is from the root Zarut, disconnection, isolation, aloneness. Who is the God of aloneness, the God of disconnection, who dwells in the body of a man? We know there's a God of connection. That's Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Who is the God of disconnection? The Gemara says, Heavy Omer is a Yetzahara. This is the Yetzir. He is going to be the source of all of the disconnection in the world. The fear of intimacy that exists in human beings, so its source is going to be Yetzahara. So we have a thesis on the table. It would be nice if we could have a confirmation of this. So, we might have a confirmation in the words of the Talmud of the Rashba. Rav Menachem Rekinati, in a comment far deeper, far deeper than we're likely to comprehend, says the following. This is in Parshas Yisro. He says, Kedusha hashmira al-achdus ha'ulamos. Kedusha is protecting, guarding the unity, the connection of all of the worlds. You realize that another name for a human being is an olam katan. So we say, Kedusha is the guarding of the unity of the worlds. Tuma. Rekinati says, he nirgan mafrid aluf. He's a powerful troublemaker. Shehi mafrid et haulamot, who separates the worlds. So here you have it explicitly. Kedusha connects and unifies the worlds. Tuma separates and pulls the worlds apart. This phrase, nirgan mafrid aluf, this powerful troublemaker who separates. So that's a Pasuk in Mishlei. Verse in Proverbs. And if you look there in the verse, so the commentators give all sorts of different definitions of what Nirgan Mafrid Aleph means, this powerful troublemaker. Rashi says, who is this referring to? The Nirgan Mafrid Aleph is someone who gossips and by gossiping separates himself from God. The Ibn Ezra, 
says the Nirgan Mafrid Aluf, this one who separates, who causes tomb in the world. So it's a person who acts violently, and by acting violently causes a breakdown in all the relations in society. Again, that separation, that's the source of tumor. <coughs> and the Vilna Gon, probably going for the sod of the whole business, says the Nirgan Mafrid Aluf, the source of tomb in the world, is one who separates a man from his wife. Through some inappropriate action, the, 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 this, this person causes a man and his wife to break up. That is the ultimate separator in the world. According to everybody, it'll turn out that Rav Rikinati is telling us that Kedusha is connection and Tum is disconnection. So we have it explicitly. Okay, so we seem to have established our thesis. And were it not for a portion in the Torah that contradicts everything we've said, we would be in great shape. There's this Parsha in the Torah. You can imagine which Parsha this is going to end up being. There's one Parsha in the Torah which speaks about Kedusha. It's called Parshas Kedoshim. And there it starts off in the verse, Kedoshim to you. Right? You should be Kedoshim. You should be holy ones. The problem is, we've been saying Kedusha's connection. And on the spot, right, there's a Machlokish Rashi and Ramban, but everybody agrees there that Kedusha is separation. <laughs> yes? So how can it be the Kedusha's connection if Kedusha's really separation? So, the solution seems to be as follows. If I want to create a total connection between two objects, I have to make sure that the surfaces that are going to connect are surgically sterile. If there's any dirt or dust on the surfaces, that will prevent total connection. So what I've got to do is I've got to separate out, I've got to remove any dirt or dust that could get in the way of the complete connection of these two surfaces. According to the Ramchal, it will turn out that the way to get to Kedusha is going to be by removing anything that could come between those two things that we want to connect, by separating out the dirt. Ramchal, again back in Kedusha, he writes like this. He says, there's a two-step process involved in achieving Kedusha. Inyan ha-kedusha kafalhu. Here are the two steps. Dehainu. Tchilaso avoda. Its beginning is labor. Sofogmo. Its end is reward. Tchilaso hishtadlus. The beginning is exertion. Besofomatana. The end is a gift. Vahainu. The beginning is a person sanctifies himself that is removes the dirt to get between he and the one that he wants to connect to. And in the end, then God himself comes in and as Mekadeshem, he creates the intimacy.
when we actively remove the distractions in life, when we remove the dirt on the surface, so that creates a space that then allows us to get close to somebody else. The, the challenge of our generation, perhaps more than any other generation ever in history, is to find such space in our lives, to remove this dirt on the surface. I don't believe that there's ever been a generation that has been so challenged by distractions as our generation where there's been so much dirt on the surface and where so much kedusha is required in order to make the, the relationship actually take place. I'll give you an example. I'll give you three examples. Let's start off with technology. Once upon a time, I'm not that old, but I remember when a woman's greatest challenge was to fight off the television and the newspaper to catch her husband's attention. And no one would dream of listening to a radio during the Chazar Sashats, during the Chazan's repetition of the Shimon Esrei. Today, even the most devoted husbands and wives are completely addicted to the internet. And it's not uncommon to see somebody checking their Palm Pilot for stock prices between Kaddish and Kedusha. So, in our door, the technology, which was created ostensibly to help create connections, if it's not reined in, it can be dirt on the surface. There's this amazing device which swept the world in, in recent years, the cell phone. The purpose of the cell phone was to create connectivity to actually allow us to relate to others, to connect to them. And the truth is that if we would control the technology properly, it would allow for that. But think about the following. If I was standing on the street with you and having a conversation with you, and in the middle of the conversation with you, somebody walked up and interrupted us and just started talking to me, I would say to them, excuse me, I'm speaking to somebody else. Imagine you're sitting in the middle of a shear, and someone walks in and starts to talk to you. She said, what are you doing? I'm in the middle of a shear. Yeah? You would never like get up and run out in the middle of the shear. Yeah? And yet, that's exactly what cell phone technology has done. For some reason, when that bell goes off, it takes priority over everything else that's going on in our lives. Who knows who's calling? I've got to answer. Right? Even though it can't be more than a person on the other end of the line, and you're talking to a person right now. Yeah? So how can we let it come in between? Well, the answer is it's dirt. And our attraction to that dirt is driven by the Yetzirah who really doesn't want us to be connecting anyways. Of course, the solution here is not to throw a cell phone into the trash can. Yeah, There are people who really need cell phones. And if you really need a cell phone, if you're one of those people, I think some of the, the sages in our generation have said that doctors need cell phones yeah, and, and that uh, certain post schemes, certain legal authorities need, need cell phones because there's Questions have to be answered on the spot. Could be that if you're a student away from home, you don't have access to a regular telephone, your parents need to get in touch with you, so then 
you know, for honoring your parents, it's very important to have a cell phone so they can call you. Not that you would always be schmoozing with your friends. You would never do that. But I mean, just so that your parents can call you, yeah? So that would, that would, there's, there's good reasons to have a cell phone. So of course, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to get rid of this great technology because there are good ways to use the technology. The problem is when the technology starts to take control of us. When I don't light candles on time on Friday afternoon because I can't do this movement where I lift up my hands and shut down the computer. Then the technology is starting to control my life and get in the way of, of real intimacy. I'm supposed to be on a date with God starting in a half an hour and I can't shut down the computer, get in the shower and get ready. So at that point, the technology starts to become problematic and the key there is, is to get some control over the technology. I'll give you another example. Food. I love sweet things. I love fattening things. And listen to the language I use without ever paying attention to the word. I love these things. Unfortunately, food is one of those things that can come between people. How often have you been at a, at a meal and there's a nice conversation going on and the food arrives and then suddenly, right, all the heads just sort of disappear into the plate. <laughs> and then come up 15 minutes later again. Roshom Zalman Orbach, he used to keep a Mishnah brewer on the table during a, a Suda. When he would eat, he always kept a Mishnah brewer on the table so that he would be connecting, right, during the meal. A meal is a time when you're actually supposed to connect to people. And it's a very pleasant thing that you sit with them, you talk with them, and you eat with them. And there's a whole social interaction that takes place. Sometimes, I'm so involved in the banquet that I fail to notice the, the spouse who made it for me or the children that it was made for. Sometimes I'm so involved in the food that I fail to notice the real mishkiach behind the banquet. HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Halavai, halavai, that I would pay as much, when I go out to a restaurant, I would pay as much attention to the bencher as I do to, to the menu. Halavai. The food can be a great, great distraction. Technology, food. I'll give you one last example here. Schedule. The West is a culture that values productivity over almost anything else. Certainly over health, definitely over relationships. The most important thing is to be productive. Even if that requires getting minimal amounts of sleep, surviving on drugs like caffeine, you've got to be productive. That's the most important thing. And of course, if you're working 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, there is no way you could be spending quality time with other people or with a Kodesh Baruch Hu. It's impossible because you're too busy and you're too exhausted. Every day you have a list of errands you don't finish. You're constantly on the run. 
Yeah, the only time that you see your spouse, right, is you know passing in the night. But the truth is, there's no opportunity for you to actually connect, and of course, connection takes time. The only solution to this would be to reject the Western worldview that productivity is the highest goal and to replace it with a uniquely Jewish worldview that relationship is the highest goal. If we did that, we would end up getting a lot less done. But there would probably be a lot fewer divorces also. Certainly a lot less fights in the house if people actually had time to sit and relax and enjoy each other. Time to bench like a mensch because you don't have to run out of the house. But I suppose taking this sort of an attitude towards technology, food, or schedule would require tremendous courage. I want to try to recommend a, a concrete and practical program for achieving what the Torah says is the goal of every Jew. Kedusha. Let's take small steps, nothing big. Step number one. One stab at technology. Keep your cell phone. Keep it on. Except at certain specified times during the day, when you want to achieve Kedusha, turn it off. Don't allow the cell phone to follow you into the most intimate moments of your life. Whether that be tefillah when you're talking to God, or a conversation with a friend, the truth is, you could get much closer to friends today than ever before, because when you sit down to schmooze with a friend, if the moment they walked up to you would say, just a minute, and you pull out your cell phone and you flip it off, that's such a statement about how important they are. God forbid the cell phone should ring and interrupt your conversation with them, even if it's only for a minute or two. But you see them coming, you take off your cell phone, you flip that thing off. Nothing should come into the way. It's like putting, you know, I am busy sign on your back while you're talking to somebody. The people who I know who have cell phones and conduct their lives, to use the vernacular like a mensch, they have hours when their cell phone is on. And the rest of the time, they use these electronic services to enhance connectivity, like answering services. The answering service picks up all the messages. It's a great thing. That's the purpose of technology. You can do this at home as well. During dinner, when you're sitting and eating, so that's not the time to run up and get the phone. You're in the middle of connecting with your family, with your loved ones. That's what an answering service is for. I have a friend who was visiting in South Africa. This is under apartheid. And he was at somebody's table. And when they finished the first course, he picked up a bell off the table. The, 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 the balabai, the head of the household, picked up this bell and rang the bell. My friend sat there in horror while in response to a ringing bell, the slaves came in, the servants came in to clear the table. And my friend thought, you know, that is so horrible that a human being is called by a bell. What are we, a dog? My friend finished his visit in apartheid South Africa, flew back to free America, arrived at his apartment in New York, was exhausted from the trip, got in the shower, was in the shower for a minute or two and the phone rang jumped out of the shower and running half naked across the room to grab the phone and halfway across the room realized, hey, look at this. <laughs> right? Like slaves. So, 
the idea is to set times when this technology will be able to interrupt your life and set times when it will not be able to interrupt your life. There's a kedusha in saying, from 9 to 12, my cell phone is off. From 12 to 1, it's on, then it's off again. From 1 to 3, I turn it on, and from 3 to 4, and then it's off from 4 to 7. Someone needs to get you, you have office hours. When the, when, when the office is closed, you're involved with somebody. Yeah? So at that point, they can't get you. I'm sorry, you're involved with some other person. That sort of a discipline is a kedusha. That sort of discipline would transform our lives in this door. I'll give you another example. The Torah, the sources say, is not a book. And it's not a body of sophisticated theological concepts. The Torah is a Bria. She's a creature. She was created like a human being is created, but she was created long before the universe existed. And she has a personality, like any other creature. Like Lahavdil, Elif Alfi Abdallah, like a dog or a cat or a person or God, the Torah has a personality. <coughs> One aspect of her personality is that she won't go to someone who she doesn't trust. So, how does a woman come to trust? So, if a person shows that he's there for her consistently, she begins to trust him. Someone who shows up now and then in her life, she's not going to trust. This is this concept that a person should be kovei eating the Torah. They should establish times when they learn. Not because if you don't establish times when you learn, you'll learn less. I'm sure, you know, you could take, you know, you know, three months, you sit and you learn a tremendous amount, and then whatever, now, now and then, during the other nine months of the year, you come to Torah whenever you want. But you don't have an established time with her. The problem is not you're not going to learn Torah. The problem is she's not going to trust you. You know how many guys I know who learn Gemara? And when they're learning Gemara, they say, oh, it's Geschmack, it's Gewaldic, it's ga whatever. And you pull them aside and get them to be honest with you. And they say, you know what? Let's be straight. It's hard and it's miserable. And you know, what can I do? I've got to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm a religious Jew. I've got to learn Gemara. I have no choice. Is it really Geschmack? No, it's not Geschmack. It's the emperor's new clothes. We all walk around saying it's Geschmack. Learning Gemara is just a headache. But you know, you want to be a from Jew, you've got to do this. This is what from Jews do. Let's be honest. A lot of people feel that way. Why do they feel that way? Because you can sit over Gemara and you can learn, right, for many, 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 many hours without her ever coming to you. You can sit over the book. That doesn't mean that you're actually involved with her. She has to come to you. But she doesn't feel safe to come to you unless you're there for her constantly. At regular intervals. She's guaranteed that you'll be there for her. There's a, a major disagreement today among authorities as to how much Torah, let's say, a woman should learn every day. Major disagreement. I actually heard two major authorities of our generation arguing over this. One opinion was that a woman should learn five minutes of Torah a day. That would do the job. If she's there, every day she connects for five minutes, she says, I'm here for you, Torah. 
Then the Torah would have the confidence to come to her. The other authority said, that's insane, five minutes? That's crazy. It's ridiculous. The other authority said, four minutes. So there's this disagreement. Is it four minutes? Is it five minutes? The key is not that you're there hours and hours and hours. The key is that the Torah knows it can trust you. You're there for her. I'll give you another example. Our sages tell us, Shabbos is me'en olam habo. Shabbos is, it, it contains the pleasure of eternity. So, you ask someone, do you like Shabbos? They say, ah, I love Shabbos. Cholent! Besides the cholent, I love Shabbos. The nap. No, no, besides the nap. I love Shabbos. The songs. No, besides the songs. The cholent, the nap, and the songs you can have on Wednesday. What about Shabbos? What, what do you mean, Shabbos? Well, you know, Shabbos! What, what, what do you mean? Well, you know, the seventh day? You mean the Cholent? No! Oh, you mean wearing Shabbos clothes? No! Shabbos is Me'in Olam Haba. It doesn't say Cholent is Me'in Olam Haba. Shabbos is Me'in Olam So, they look at you like, what are you talking about? They have no idea. Why? Because it's possible to never perform Borer in an entire lifetime and never experience Shabbos. Because Shabbos is a Bria. She's a creature. She won't come to you unless she feels safe. What makes Shabbos feel safe? A woman pulled me aside after a class one night, nine o'clock at night. She looked white. She said to me, I need to talk to you. It is an emergency. I said, what's wrong? She said, I'm engaged to a guy and we're supposed to get married in a few months and I think I've got to break it off. I said, why? What's going on? She says to me, he told me he was going to call me. So I said, yeah. She said, he didn't call. So I I said, you know, maybe he's busy. He'll call you later. She says, I've been waiting since 8 o'clock this morning. It's 9 o'clock at night. I said, fine, well, things come up. You know, like, an emergency happened. She said, it's the third time that it's happened. So, I had to start off by explaining to her, he's just an idiot male. Yeah. Then, I asked her, you know, what would you like what would make you feel secure? She said, I would like him to say, I'm going to call you at five minutes to nine. And at ten minutes to nine, I'd like my phone to ring. That's what I would like. I would like that he would set a time and then be there before. That would make me feel secure. It is not true that the first time that you are allowed to light Shabbos candles is 18 minutes before the sun sets on Friday afternoon. That is not true. That is the last time that you are supposed to light the Shabbos candles. Because if you really love somebody, you don't get that close to something that drives them crazy. Even though you don't actually do the thing that drives them crazy, you don't get that close to it because it makes them nuts. When I first heard about this rule that we light Shabbos candles 18 minutes before, 
So like, I didn't know how to understand that. You know, like, what's wrong with, with these Jews? Like, they can't tell time. They're worried if they, if they don't light 18 minutes before, they're going to end up lighting right after the sun sets. 18 minutes is a long time. Light five minutes before. Like a, light a minute before. I have a Casio. It's very accurate. In Yerushalayim, they light 40 minutes before. What, are they mentally retarded there? Well, what do they need 40 minutes for? Of course, the answer is that in Yerushalayim, they're more concerned about relationship than any other place on the planet. They stay 40 minutes away from what drives their beloved crazy. Minimally 40 minutes. You can always light before that. The key is, if you really are in love with somebody, you make them feel safe. You don't even come close to what makes them nuts. If we want to create a kedusha in our lives, we want to create a relationship then we have to make certain gedarim, certain guidelines for ourselves to put a limit on technology, to connect with Torah on a regular basis, to make enough space in our lives so that Shabbos feels safe enough to come to us. Then we could feel what it's like to dance with Shabbos as opposed to just reading about her in a book. I'll give you another example. There's a mitzvah of Achnasus Orchim. It's a beautiful mitzvah that we should we should take people into our home. Dafka, the mitzvah seems to be take people into your home who have no other place to go. And to love them and to take care of them, to pay attention to them, to make them feel taken care of. And Dafka on Shabbos, Shabbos is the day of intimacy in a Jew's life. It's the day of Kedusha. Hamavdu Mikodesh Lachol. It's the day of Kedush in our lives. Dafka, on that day, we are more involved in relationship, and you'll see this throughout the halacha, that we're more involved in relationship on Shabbos than any other time. So Dafka on Shabbos, it's important that we take people who have no other place to go, bring them into our homes, take care of them. And in this regard, we often make a terrible error. Because on Shabbos, what we'll do is, we'll bring 30 guests into our house. And we won't be able to pay attention to any of them. And none of them will get the care that they need. And of course, the worst thing is that the children, who may not see their parents all week because their parents are so busy, so Dafka and Shabbos, when the day's, it's the day for connecting, on that day, Friday night, dad's talking to this guest and that guest, and mom is serving food to this guest and that guest. And the kids are ignored. So they try to get their parents' attention by misbehaving. And eventually they just give up and leave the table and go play. Because they realize they're not going to get the attention they need. Okay, now we're not anti-Hachnasus Orchim here. Of course, you have to bring people to your house. People have another place to go. My wife and I spoke about this mitzvah. We realized that we have a responsibility towards the community. And so my wife and I decided that we would take upon ourselves to have... Kavua guests at our Shabbos table every single week. And we don't have such a big table, but we accept it upon ourselves that there are five people who have no other place to go that we would accept upon ourselves every single week. And these five guests come to our Shabbos table every week, three meals. We take care of them. And they mamash have no other place to go. My oldest son, my daughter, my other three kids. They mamash have no place to go. We take them in, we take care of them, we pay attention to them. 
Now, of course, it's okay to have more guests if you can give that amount of attention to everybody without shortchanging some. But it's a crazy thing to have 30 guests at your table and you can't take care of any of them. If you can take care of five, take care of five. If you can take care of 10, take care of 10. But you have to make sure that every guest feels taken care of. If they don't feel taken care of, so then what was the hachnas sorchim? You brought them into your house to ignore them? If it's a time of Kedusha, then we have to make sure that there's time and there's space to take care of them. Another thing, when you bring 30 guests into your house, sometimes you're doing such crazy cooking between Thursday and Friday, by the time the Shabbos comes, you're so exhausted, you can't sit up at the table. When we got married, I told my wife, Lefi the halacha, according to Jewish law, you need two things for Shabbos, grape juice and six rolls. That's all that's important. Everything else is negotiable. You don't have to have a 13-course meal. It doesn't have to be French food with Mexican hors d'oeuvres. Simple, because the whole goal is Kedusha. The food tastes good if you're involved in with, with Shabbos and with the people at the table. I'll give you one last possibly practical recommendation. If Kedusha is closeness, if it's relationship, and that takes time, then in order for a Jew to achieve Kedusha, they would have to schedule time to connect with those who are important in their lives. When you make your daily schedule, that would mean you have to set a private time with each child, which alone would take a lot of time. To meet with each child every day, tremendous amount of time. Even if you only meet with each child for 15 minutes. But that's already a lot of time. And you're only giving each kid 15 minutes of intimacy a day, alone. That's a lot of time. A little bit of time with your, with your spouse. I just saw Rav Moshe Feinstein has a, has a very interesting tshuva, in which he says that today... The minimum amount of time that most Talmud Echami, most Torah scholars should spend with their wife is at least two nights a week. That they should be able to spend private time with their wife two nights a week. At one point in time, I think it was one night a week, but in our generation, there's such a lack of Kedusha, two nights a week is the minimum. Okay, there's other people who have tremendous responsibilities if they're working very hard. A fisherman who goes away for six months... He can't obviously spend two nights a week with his wife. But to set aside some private time to create Kedush in your life. Maybe to make an appointment with a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Can't call me between 3 and 3.30. That's when I daven mincha. Just like a business appointment, Yeah. Someone can't call you when you're at work, you're working on the computer, you're like you're in the middle of you know, doing stuff for the corporation, they can't call you then. So there's a certain time when you're busy, you're involved with the corporation, so to speak. You're working for the boss, you can't talk to them at that point. An appointment every day. You meet him at that time every single day. i conclude with this idea. There's a Masechta, there's a tractate in the Talmud which deals with our topic, Kedusha. That tractate is called Kedushin. 
And on the first page of that tractate, there's a whole discussion about what exactly is Kedushin. There, obviously, Kedushin is talking about the connection between a man and a woman. And Taisvis, the French Tosifists, they comment on the spot that Kedusha, this Kedushin, is a procedure which separates out all other suitors and prevents anyone from coming between this man and this woman. It bans all, all interference, removes anyone else who might get in the way. That's the nature of Kedushin. If we have the courage, perhaps we can engage in this process of Kedushin and separate out those things that might get in the way. A woman came to my Shabbos table several years ago. A secular woman. She had never experienced a Shabbos in her life. She came and sat at the table and she was very... uh, nice and respectful. When we got up to wash for bread, she got up to wash her bread, she listened to Kiddush very attentively. But it was strange, she didn't speak throughout the evening. Not a word. She sat at our table and she stared. When I was making Kiddush, I saw she was staring. When I spoke to God in Hamotzi, Baruch Atah Hashem, Hamotzi Lechem Inar, she was staring at me. When the suit started, Kids hopped on my lap. We were singing. I was talking with them. She was staring. My wife and I got into a whole discussion at the table over at Dvar Torah. And she was just staring back and forth at my wife and I. Throughout the meal, she did not say a word. Okay. The meal went on for like three hours. At the end of the meal, she was completely silent. The meal ended. And uh, I said, okay. You know, we'll bench. She stared. I watched her during benching. She was looking at all the people at the table we're talking to God. At the end of the meal, we got up, I got her coat, I was going to walk her over the door, and she turned to me, and with this burning intensity, she said to me, how do you do it? I said, what? She said, you were talking to God. I said, yeah. She says, you and your wife, you were talking. And your kids, they love to talk with you. Like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. It's the first time ever in her life the lady had ever seen Kedusha. She's blown away by it. Thank God you and I have Kedusha in our lives. Now we would just like a little bit more. And practically what we have to do is fairly clear. And if we have the courage to stop and rethink how we're running our lives and not to walk out of this room today having been entertained, but actually decide in the next half hour, hour to make a change, then it's possible that within a year or so we'll understand what the Ramchal meant when he said that its beginning was labor and its end was reward. Its beginning was exertion and its end was a gift. It began when we sanctified ourselves. And perhaps six months or a year from now, we'll, we'll say, and it ended, us, it ended 
with us being sanctified.